All right, Amit. So I am always grateful for the people who are willing to like give time from their day to me and have these conversations about education, about literacy and technology. But I have to be extra grateful for you because a couple of years ago, you, you know, basically like changed my life dramatically. And I kind of, you know, brushed you off a little bit. <laughs> and so um, I am so grateful that not only did you show up for me then, but you're showing up for me now. Thank you for being here. Oh, of course. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I was uh, able to have that kind of impact, I would say. <laughs> and I learned earlier today that you were a catalyst, not just for me, but for one of my teammates as well. And so I kind of want to start there, start with this story about how you and I reconnected a couple of years ago. But before we do that, in order for someone to understand that, for anyone to understand that, they'll need to understand what you're doing now. So you are a managing director at Owl Ventures. Tell us about Owl Ventures. Yeah, happy to. So Owl Ventures, we're an education technology-focused venture capital fund. In fact, we're the world's largest edtech-focused VC fund. Uh, we invest across the education spectrum. So it's everything from early learning to K-12 to higher education to the future of work, lifelong learning, adult learning, uh, as well as what we call the edtech plus category. So that's edtech plus other major sectors like health tech or fintech or the creator economy and, and, and other sectors like that. Uh, we're stage agnostic, so we do everything from early stage to growth stage, uh, and we invest globally. So we've made tons of investments here in the U.S., but we've also made investments in Latin America, uh, Europe, Africa, and, and various parts of Asia as well, too. And as far as what you do as a managing director, like what's your day-to-day? Uh, I, I would say the, the day-to-day isn't necessarily consistent in terms of exactly what the schedule looks like or anything like that, but there's different buckets of work, I would say, that consist of, uh, let's say, my uh, primary focus areas. So uh, first and foremost is kind of working with our existing portfolio companies and kind of being helpful to them in any way that uh, we possibly can as, you know, we are board members on, on a lot of the portfolio companies that we do make investments in. Uh, second, I would say is like kind of looking for that next investment. Like what is, uh, uh, what is the next company that, that we, we have the, on, the opportunity to work with. And then third, uh, I would say kind of, um, you know, firm building activities. Uh, we are an organization in and of itself. Um, how was started in 2014. I've been fortunate, uh, to be with the organization since we were started and it's been an amazing ride, uh, so far. And we feel like we're just getting started. Uh, and so those are like kind of the major buckets of, of activities. Awesome. And you said that so well, but what I remember is a couple of years ago, um, I was, so you and I know each other because we went to Stanford at the same time. You did the MA MBA and I just did the MA. And what you don't know about me is I didn't do an MBA at that time because I believed like business people were ruining education and we needed more teachers to be doing these things. And I was like, whatever. And then I went on to end up realizing that maybe a business degree might help me as I'm leading schools and learning about finance and budgets and things, budgets and things like that. And so I was getting my MBA. I thought I wanted to dabble in ed tech. Someone said to me, Owl Ventures is synonymous with ed tech. Like you want to know about that. That's who you need to talk to. And so I, I, I looked it up and that's where you were. And two years ago, I sent you an email. Do you remember what that email said? I'm, I'm sure you get millions. So maybe you don't. But for me, it was impactful. Do you remember this email? I do remember getting the email from you. Uh, and I know that it was having like kind of questions about like the ed tech sector and wanting to connect on potential opportunities and things like that. So I do recall that. And I'm, uh, glad that we were able to connect and, and talk about that. Well, so yeah, so I emailed you and I was like, Hey, can we connect? You made time right away, just like you did for this podcast. And, um, and I said, you know, he, and, and through our conversation, I was like, this is who I want to talk to. And I just like handed you a list of companies. I was like, introduce me to these people that, you know, <laughs> which is a little bold of me. <laughs> and you were so like, I have to just tell you the generosity in what you sent back was like, of course, but also Laura, I think you should look into this company, Amira. Um, which again, a lot of, a lot of times I talk about this quote of like, you know, with, with our knowledge grows, shows our ignorance. <laughs> and I said, to, as our knowledge grows, so grows our ignorance. Um, and I said to you like, cute, but no, like, <laughs> this is, I, I don't like their name. My kids aren't going to learn to read from a robot. Absolutely not. Um, do you, do you remember all of that? I, I, <laughs> I, I do recall that. I do recall that. I, I remember, uh, you know, kind of saying like, hey, I think you're going to be really excited about the team. I think like kind of uh, the mission of the company, I think like, you know, the impact that they're having, the efficacy that they're having, like this, this is something I could understand why skepticism might be met if you were kind of to simplify, boil it down to like 
robot teaching kids how to read, but there's there's a lot more to this company than that. And so um, I'm, I'm glad like- you came around. Is what I would say. <laughs> well, I'm not right away either. You, yeah, you yeah. very generously introduced me to lots of other companies. You helped me talk to all the people I wanted to talk to. And but your email ended with, "But when if you if you change your mind on Amira, let me know." And I did. A couple of months later, I said, "Okay, I haven't found my place. Like, will you introduce me to Amira?" And so the story goes. I met Mark Angel, the CEO. Said something also ridiculous to him about how his product was stupid, and, and he ended up hiring me. <laughs> and and I, I work to your point about the team. I work with the kindest, smartest people I've ever met, and I have the coolest job where I get to connect teachers and educators to our product to make sure that we're meeting their needs. And it's just when I say you changed my life, it's just incredible what I get to do every day. But what the question I have for you on this is like, how did you know? Like we hadn't talked in years and you see, I mean, the list of products that you are a part of that you connect to, how did you know Amira was something special and and what was making you connect those dots? Yeah. um, I I appreciate that question. I think there's a few things. um, And, and especially if you think about the the moment that we had the opportunity to kind of work with Mark and the team, Uh, you know, it's a very early stage for this company. So you know, there's not like a whole lot of data and things like that to necessarily kind of make uh, make these types of decisions. But I would say, first and foremost, uh, at, at any early stage, it's really about the team, right? And I think Mark and the the team that he has been able to build here uh, just are extremely uh, passionate people about the problem that they are trying to solve, uh, about the product that they are building. Um, and they are driven by like kind of data, right? Like, and they are looking for efficacy and outcomes and results. Um, and I think, uh, there's a, there's a real humility to what they are doing. Uh, I think there's a genuine interest in their, uh, not only past experiences, but just continued willingness to learn from what are the educators saying as we are building this product and how are they thinking about, uh, kind of what Amira is offering, where are the ways that we could potentially improve this solution and this product? And I think for me, um, A, kind of seeing that kind of commitment, dedication, uh, and passion from the team. And then second, just understanding like the problem that Amira is focused on, like this idea of students not reading on grade level by the time they're in third or fourth grade is just something that you talk to any kind of educator, superintendent, principal, it's like, hey, name your top five problems like kind of that you think we need to be really focused on. And this is going to be one of those that they're going to say is going to be the most important thing that we could dedicate more time and more energy to solve. Um, well, I'm endlessly grateful that you um, did this for me and that you made that connection and, and that you were smarter, smart and still are smarter than I was <laughs> and am. But, um, you know, is that the formula that you're applying to? I mean, when you look at the list of companies that you're a part of with OWL and when you uh, you, you said it, right, it's. It's ed tech, ed tech plus, ed tech K twelve, like you, all the things that you could be into. Is this what the formula that you look for is a really great team and a really good problem, or is there more to it? How how are you deciphering what's like important and valuable for you? Yeah, so three major buckets that we kind of take a look at in general. So team is first and foremost, like uh, what we do take a look at. You know, I think when you uh, look at a lot of the relationships that investors have with kind of education technology companies in the venture capital space, and frankly, just in venture capital general, like these are decade long relationships that you actually have. So, you know, kind of we want to be excited about working with the team. We also want the team to be excited kind of to work with us as well, too. So I'd say that's bucket one of what we look at. Bucket two of what we uh, look at is like kind of just the outcomes, right? Like in terms of what has the business done? Uh, how have they performed, whatever data they do have, what has been customer reactions, are there any, um, you know, kind of survey data, whatever it is, and then uh, kind of what are the long-term competitive advantages that this company could have uh, in the long run to to build, uh, you know, kind of a world-changing company. And then the third is outcomes and impact and efficacy measurement. Uh, and, you know, we understand that early stage companies aren't necessarily going to have done like randomized control trials or things like that. So we do kind of tailor that to be stage appropriate. Uh, but we want to make sure that that is something that is core to what they are doing and not an afterthought, uh, because we do believe the longest lasting, most valuable companies in the sector are going to be the ones that are actually focused on delivering some type of outcomes and efficacy. Okay, then let me ask you something because I just did a podcast with um, Todd Grindle, who works at, who's one of the directors at um, SRI, and mm-hmm. one of the things that he said with the tech products that he works with is the hardest part is for the most part they don't work, right? Like no matter what we do, all of the research, that's where he's focused is that it doesn't work. 
How do you feel about that? And would you say it's true? I would say a few things. One is, um, I think for early stage companies, like it's to like kind of hold them to the standard of like an RCT or something like that is not like the right standard to necessarily be holding them to because A, they don't necessarily have like as large of a user base, their products are not as stable uh, and things like that. And so I think like when you're talking about like kind of earlier stage companies, like what we're tending to look at is a little bit more qualitative in nature, right? Like, are they meeting with educators? Are they in the classroom? Are they actually getting feedback uh, from their users? Are they incorporating that into product development? I do think like kind of with later stage companies, you can do like some of these RCTs or other types of rapid testing and things like that. And I would say, you know, I'm proud to say like the more mature companies in our portfolio have had those types of results, right? Like, you know, you look at products like Dreambox Learning in our portfolio, or you look at products like Accelerate Learning or STEM Scopes in our portfolio, uh, Panorama Education being another example, like they've all done like kind of extensive studies in partnerships with research uh, at universities and things like that. And they have shown that they are having an impact. Uh, uh, and so I don't know if I would like necessarily paint everything with like one broad brushstroke, because I do think like depending on the stage of the company, like there's a different way to kind of measure this and, and it becomes a lot more rigorous and I would say quantitative in nature once you start to have a much more mature product and a much more scaled user base that you can actually run those types of studies appropriately. To. That makes sense. And when you think about those three buckets, right, that you just mentioned, which one matters the most to you? You're talking about from an investment perspective? Yes. I, I, so to be honest, like we don't, it's not like we'd say, oh, two of the three are there and we're still moving forward. Like I would say like we, we have to have all three in our opinion. Um, and, you know, that's why I think, um, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the, the process that we run, the amount of time and the like the diligence and kind of the discussions that we do have are, are fairly involved in terms of. Uh, when we do decide to move forward with a company and do partner with them, um, you know, A, it's something that we take very seriously and it's something that, you know, we want to make sure that, hey, it's not just one bucket that we're excited about. It's something that that kind of we're seeing potential across all of those buckets. I was reading recently in the New York Times um, an article about investment and they, a lot of what they were saying was that um, Silicon Valley may have bet a little too hard on people, right? That they loved a founder, they loved a team. And I, I noticed the first thing you said was, was, you know, like teams are really important. And we talked about Mark. And, and in my opinion, Mark seems somewhat unique in that he's a little older <laughs> than an ed tech founder and he's been around the block and he's, he is serious, you know, like he's just, this is all, this is what he wants to do. Is that true? Is he, is he unique or, are, or is this a lot, what a lot of your founders look like? Yeah, I, I'd say uh, we have a pretty diverse range of founders, like across our portfolio. Um, you know, I think for us, like what really matters is, uh, like, does this person a, like kind of really understand the problem that they are trying to solve? Like if they do have some lived experience as well, that they've like kind of gone through, uh, that like kind of can shed light, uh, that's even better. I would say, you know, also just like demonstrating from the founder, like how much time have they actually taken to like uncover beyond what you know, like online about the problem, right? Like in the case of like kind of some of these K-12 entrepreneurs that we do work with, like how much time have you spent in the classroom? Like how much time have you actually like kind of understood what else exists? Why doesn't those other solutions exist? And I'd say like for Mark and Amira, um, you know, I recall from one of the things, uh, one of my initial discussions with him was like, this is a product that he actually wanted to build for a long time. And the tech was the thing that was just limiting him, right? And like kind of the reason why he was like, hey, you know, I want to start a mirror now. He's like, I finally see that the tech is at the place where it needs to be in order to, for me to actually create this product. And like, so hearing the fact that this was not something that like kind of he thought about like 12 months ago or 24 months ago, but this is something that he's been thinking about for almost a decade, uh, you know, further like reinforced the fact that this was like that right founder product fit that we're looking for uh, in, in the types of companies that we want to back. I was recently talking to Dan Carroll at Clever and he said that the first time he met Mark, Mark was at Renaissance 
like a decade ago and he was talking about AI and reading and everyone thought he was crazy. Right. And yeah. now, and now we're in this. <laughs> isn't that, isn't that insane to think it's about amazing. how long he's been dreaming about this? It's a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, and, and, and I think it's been amazing to kind of see, uh, just as like, like you alluded to, like his, his work ethic, like what he's, how passionate he is about like kind of creating this and, uh, ultimately like what that leads to in terms of like how, what type of product uh, the Amira team has been able to deliver, uh, so far. And I know it's not, it's once again, it's early stages, so it's not set, right? Like there's a lot of changes that are going to happen and everything like that, but how fast the team is moving as well. Yeah. Um, so let me tell you about something else that happened when we reconnected. So I went on this like journey of talking to anybody and everybody about ed tech and different things. I, like anybody who would talk to me, I wanted to have a conversation. And I talked to someone else from Stanford. I don't know if you know her. Um, she was in the LDT. Her name was Renee, is Renee. And, and she went to ed tech right out of Stanford and now is doing a different technology. And what she said to me was like, Laura, don't touch ed tech you're going to, what's going to happen is they're going to get bought and you're not going to make anything. And it's going to be so hard. And it's just, it's such a, so much harder than, than the rest of tech, just go anywhere else. Obviously that's not how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you say? Yeah, I think like, listen, um, there's a, like the, the thing about like kind of, um, education and, and specifically education technology is there's been some, definite reasons why historically it's been difficult to actually scale education technology companies and solutions, right? So if you like, let's just take the, U and there's different reasons for different subsectors in different parts of the world, but let's just take the US K-12 sector as an example, right? You go back to the first decade of this century and it's like at in 2010, less than 10% of US K-12 schools had access to high-speed broadband internet, right? Uh, like think about a lot of us and maybe the homes that we were living in, like all of us probably had access to this. Right. And so, um, you know, the fact that schools did not like that's one huge thing. And then second, uh, what I would say is like, you know, devices such as a Chromebook or, or things like that, like did not exist um, at that time. Right. So the idea of like, Hey, I'm building an ed tech solution or an ed tech company. Like, what does that actually look like? It means like, I'm loading software on a local computer or like some type of local server. Uh, students and teachers interaction with the software is limited to how many times I can actually get into the computer lab, which is maybe if I'm lucky once a week or something like that. Right. So like there were a lot of fundamental challenges with like actually building and scaling a company. And so until things like E-rate funding and some of these other like policies were put into place, uh, and saw kind of now you have almost 100%, if not 100% of US K-12 schools that have access to high-speed broadband internet and device, you know, one-to-one -one student to device ratio is not quite as high, but like, you know, call it 60, 70% or something like that. And so now you can actually say, hey, there's a solution that I want to build. Uh, this is how I would build it. This is how I would scale it. This is how students and teachers would access it. And that really wasn't possible until the last decade or so. And so I'm not surprised to hear that reaction about education technology companies. But like I would say is there's a reason why we thought it was important to start a fund dedicated to this space in 2014, when you saw a lot of these changes actually taking place. So you said the last decade, but I would also say there was this accelerator during COVID as well. I was a, I was, I was leading a middle school and during COVID and it felt like there were ed tech products being thrown at you from every direction all of a sudden. Like I know, I'm sure they were building it before then, but people saw this opportunity. How, how did you manage that at Owl? I'm sure all of your companies were like, we got to go faster. This is the moment. Is that how you felt? Yeah. So COVID, I would say, um, you know, definitely there was a spotlight that was put on ed tech, right? And I think this is this goes beyond K-12, right? Like whether you're talking about K-12 or higher education or even like, you know, adults like working in the corporate sector, right? All of us around the world experience some type of remote learning, blended learning or remote work. Uh, and so, you know, I think a lot of individuals and institutions were like kind of said, hey, you don't really have a choice. Like you are adopting some type of education technology related solution uh, if you do want to continue learning or if you do want to continue working. Right. And so I think uh, as a result, there was definitely, you know, kind of an acceleration of adoption uh, of a lot of these education technology solutions. Uh, and maybe not in all cases, like kind of 
clear understanding of what does a long-term strategy look like in terms of incorporating this solution into like, uh, you know, my, my normal mode of operations, right? And so what I would say is like COVID, I think, introduced a lot more people and institutions to kind of what is possible with education technology solutions. And what I mean by that is there's a convenience factor there. There's a cost factor there. Um, and then there's like kind of just a personalized like kind of ability there uh, that it also introduced as well. Now, kind of coming out of COVID, I do think that there is more work that needs to get done by institutions and individuals to say, hey, what what is the most important? Like, what did resonate with me? How am I going to think about that long term strategy? So I think we are, frankly, still working through that. Um, and and so in terms of like kind of how we are thinking about that across our portfolio is just to say, hey, to our companies and say, hey, you know, kind of work with your cu customers and your institutions that you work with to say, you know, what did resonate, what didn't resonate and how do you kind of become a part of that long term strategy and deliver value that that is really meaningful. Um, it's funny you say that. I remember being in a school recently and they had two policies that were kind of um, intersecting at the same time out of COVID and that they were only supposed to be putting kids now that they were back in the classroom on screens for like 40 minutes or less a day. But they also had like seven products they were mandated to use <laughs> every day. And they were like, there's, yeah. there's no way to do both of these things. And so to your point, like really kind of figuring out what what mattered. I got to try all these things. I got to do all of these things. I want to move this conversation to talking about you, but I have three questions left about, you know, kind of OWL. And so the first one is, what's something that you either invested in or were, coach, were coaching the founder or whatever you were doing um, from OWL Ventures that you're really proud of? What's a product or solution that you're really proud of? And so this is, uh, besides Amira learning, I'm assuming, Obviously. right? <laughs> but please, not anybody who's in our competition. <laughs> Don't get me in trouble with Mark. <laughs> no, 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 of course. So besides Amira learning, um, you know, I, I uh, mentioned this company um, uh, earlier um, that I think is also in the K-12 space that's, that's doing some, some pretty amazing work. It's a company called Panorama Education. Um, you know, I think the... The reason, once again, why I was excited about what Panorama was working on was, um, you know, uh, it a kind of you like basically brought to light. So Panorama, what it does is like uh, provides uh, student, teacher, parent, and administrator survey tools, um, and kind of showcases uh, a lot of additional data that has been shown in academic research to have very direct impact on student outcomes, things like school culture, things like relationships between teachers and students, uh, things like perseverance grit and like all of these things that, uh, you know, you kind of want to marry that with like traditional academic data, like things like test scores or attendance data or behavior data to like really get like a comprehensive picture of what's happening with the student. And Panorama was like one of the first ways that actually made that accessible to like kind of schools as well as districts and things like that. So you kind of got like that full picture of what's actually happening with the student. And so that's one that I would say uh, is really uh, I'm really proud of the work that the team has done over there. Uh, and, you know, kind of my, my background being at like kind of success academies prior to, to being at Al, I had a chance to kind of see like hey, what is the impact that it can have on like students and parents when you do have that type of information accessible? Uh, and success was in was able to do it in a, in a unique way. And like Panorama, I felt like was making that accessible to to more schools around the country and, and, and around the world, hopefully. So that, that's one reason why I was particularly excited about that one. Okay. So I don't want to get you in trouble without naming <laughs> names. <laughs> Can you tell me about a time that you're really excited about something, really excited about a product or solution, and maybe it didn't pan out? Yeah. So I'm not going to name names, um, but what I would say is like, um, you know, ultimately, like what I think we're we're looking for in terms of companies that like we get excited about is, you know, um, I think like it comes back to like kind of the different buckets that we talk about, and so like the fact that something is actually delivering like outcomes and, and results is something that is important to us. Right. And I think like, you know, you mentioned like, Hey, have there been moments where like, how would you rank these and things like that? Like for us, I would say is like, Hey, listen, there have been times where uh, maybe we haven't like kind of seen that uh, necessarily being demonstrated and things like that. And then you kind of leave those meetings questioning, well, Oh, should I have, should I have not have invested in that particular company or not? And so, 
Um, that, that I would say is like kind of the biggest debate that, that kind of we have in terms of making a decision or not. That makes sense. Um, okay. So before my last question, I'm going to tell one more story about you and I, because we were once on a project together, um, when we were in school and we were supposed to like build some sort of like school solution, a school was down and we were supposed to like find the solution. And what all I remember really was that you wanted to have this slide at the very beginning of our deck that was just like, it looked like, I don't know, class dojo puked on it. It was, there were all, it was ed tech products everywhere. <laughs> and let's remember that I started this conversation being like business people are evil and ed tech is like ruining the world. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, you know, and, and I let you do this. I let you like, you would sit up there. I couldn't even tell you what half the logos were. It was crazy. But this, so this is my question though, because you are an ed tech advocate like no one else. Like you believe so deeply in the ability for education and technology to come together to change lives. But do you think that there are any problems that, that technology should not be applied to in education where you look at it and you're like, you know what, this is not a tech problem. What do you think? Yeah. I think, I mean, the, the thing that I would say is um, when it comes to technology, like what we believe in is like, it is very much in the service of like kind of aiding, like kind of the interactions between teachers and students. Right. Um, and I think for me, like what really matters is, you know, there's a lot of demand on teachers times. There's a lot of things that they have to do. And so ideally what uh, I'm looking for, like kind of in these solutions is things that uh, help create more space for that, whether it's small group interaction, one-on-one -on -one interaction, or helping teachers like actually focus on the things that really matter and that they're most excited about and want to focus on. And so if there's ways that data and analytics could be presented, or if there's ways that you know certain rote tasks could get automated and things like that, if there's ways to save time for them, like those are the types of solutions that I feel like I get most excited about. And, and I think the team at Al like is, is particularly passionate about. Would you say that it's a confusion on people's parts when they think that you want ed tech to replace teachers? Like that's not at all. Cause you hear people say that, right? Yeah. And I'd say like, that's, that's definitely not the camp that we're in. And that's not, <laughs> that's not the camp that like kind of the solutions that we're looking for. Um, you know, I just, uh, you know, come back to like, I, I have two relatively young kids, right? And, you know, especially as you're thinking about, you know, kind of the early elementary preschool space where um, uh, Amira is certainly focused on that early elementary school population. And I would say is like, uh, it really matters, like kind of those interactions that they not only have with other children, but they have with the adults in the classroom and everything like that. And there's a lot of learning that is actually happening there from that human interaction. I'd say, you know, the fact that that my daughter, like there were two years there where there was very limited interaction that actually ended up happening. And that had a profound uh, impact on kind of her uh, development level of comfort, like interacting with other kids, other adults and everything like that. And so that was just like a front row seat at like kind of why this really matters and, and why those types of relationships really matter. Wow. That's, I, my children too were home during that time. So I totally, I totally understand. Um, okay, so moving on to kind of your story, I think a lot of people, especially after going to an MBA, I know a lot of people are dreaming of being in a VC, right? Like, but like venture is just dreamland. <laughs> and I think in that group, there's also a lot of people who wish that 10 years ago, they had had the foresight to see that education was going to be this like cool space to be an ed tech. And so, um, you know, when you look at your path to where you are now, you've done amazing things. You, you founded a tutoring company, you were at, at Success Academies. Where, what do you think was the moment that you were like, this, this is the future, this is what we're doing. What, 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 where did you come from? Yeah, uh, so I think for me, um, you know, uh, when I first started like kind of my, my journey in education, I think, first of all, where that actually came from was my, my parents immigrated to the U.S. from India. Um, and, you know, I had the chance to kind of go, go and see where they grew up. And like I, I visited the village that my dad grew up in India, where uh, education itself was just like it really tested his will in terms of like uh, like how committed was he? Because he had like elementary school in his village, like the middle school was, you know, not the next door town over. And then the high school was even further than that. And so like literally every single like kind of progression in his education was, was like kind of tested by, okay, how far am I willing to like kind of walk to the school? Right. 
Um, and uh, for me to see kind of where, where my parents came from and then the fact that they came to a brand new country and everything that they were actually able to accomplish in life has just been astonishing and, and amazing to me. And I think when I asked my dad, I was like, hey, what, why, why were you able to do this? Like, how, how was that actually possible? And he said, like, two things. He was like, education and random acts of kindness. Um, and, you know, so as I, as I kind of thought about, like, you know, what, what is it that I want to do with my life? What is it that, like, uh, I, I would be proud to do? And I said, well, listen, how, how do I make as much education as accessible to as many people uh, as possible. And so, uh, initially started out, as you mentioned, like kind of starting a, a, a tutoring company and, um, you know, I, uh, I then, uh, went on to work for Mathnasium that, that, you know, kind of has like kind of tutoring operations across the U S across 30 different countries as well. Uh, and then I remember this, uh, pretty meaningful conversation in, uh, it was about 2010, uh, where I was at a Diwali party with Sal Khan. Uh, and I was like, Hey, I'm working at Mathnasium and I'm, this is what I'm doing. And he's like, Hey, I'm working at Khan Academy and this is what I'm doing. And, you know, this is like, I think before he was on like, you know, the cover of time magazine and everything like that. And, you know, Khan Academy was known, but it's not known to what it is today. And I just like left that conversation and I was like, man, like education technology, like that, that, that is how you like kind of even scale this even further. Right. Um, and so with that, like kind of, um, you know, kind of aha moments, like I went to success academies where uh, I had the opportunity to like kind of uh, deploy ed tech solutions across their network, uh, as well as build in-house ed tech solutions. And so really had the opportunity to like kind of dive in deep uh, uh, on that side. And then, um, so you let's know, talk post- about success for a second yeah. before you keep going on. First of all, what a beautiful story. And now I totally understand like the generosity you bring to my crazy emails, right? Is It's all from your dad. So tell your dad I say thank you. Um, but but when you're at success, like success is really well known for being one, very successful, but also kind of centralized, right? Whatever you decide goes out to everybody and people are really well trained in that curriculum. And so I'm assuming it was the same in technology and you were the decision maker, correct? So I wouldn't say I was a decision maker, like as in it was up to me exactly what got done. Like there was a lot of uh, work and coordination that happened with like the leaders of the school or uh, various academic departments and things like that to say, hey, this is something that we want to prioritize. Now help us understand what solutions are actually available and then kind of aligning on, okay, this is the one that we all kind of collectively have uh, selected so that it was like kind of with the input of the various stakeholders and it wasn't just a top-down mandate coming from, hey, the technology team has no idea about anything about classroom management or what our curriculum goals are or anything like that. And they're insisting that we use XYZ product or something like that, right? So uh, there there was a lot of like kind of uh, coordination that happened in that front. When you were there, was there anything that you got really excited about and couldn't wait to push out? Um, So Dreambox was one, like, uh, (laughs) which was, I, I, you know, we uh, ultimately ended up making an investment in Dreambox out of Owl as well, too. But like kind of in terms of, uh, you know, kind of a uh, the product that they were delivering, the data and analytics that they were like kind of really pioneering at that time uh, in terms of making available uh, to uh, teachers and uh, in a way that was like very intuitive. I remember like one of the things that like I looked at the first time seeing like the Dreambox dashboard, I was like, oh, wow, like I don't have to like read like 50 rows of data to know which student like is struggling with which concept. Like it is obvious to me based on like what they're showing, like, oh, I need to focus on this. Right. And so I think like at moments when I when I saw that, like that was pretty, uh, pretty amazing, I would say. Uh, second was, uh, you know, we, we ended up creating a lottery admission system in-house uh, at uh, Success. And um you know, that was, there was a technology solution that got done there, but there was a lot of like in-person events that went into like kind of these parents and families, like actually applying uh, to the schools and like kind of getting through the process and everything like that. And so I think those were, 
Go ahead. Wasn't there a movie like Waiting for Superman where we watched all of the kids waiting for these lottery systems to like yeah, call so their names? Okay, go ahead. That I so I did join slightly after they stopped doing those events, like kind of publicly. Okay. But uh, I guess like what I'm talking about is like even just like the 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 nights where like kind of students and families were coming to apply, right? And like kind of you know creating an application like Ad Success, like their lottery admission system, and then like actually seeing families interact with it, like apply with it, like seeing the teachers interact with it, seeing um, uh, the admissions team and everyone like kind of uh, interact with it. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's still true to this day. A few years ago, I checked in with the team at Success and it was like, I was surprised to hear that they were still using the lottery admission system that we had created uh, back then. And so I think it was just, uh, it was a lot of fun, like kind of actually a creating that, seeing the human touch points and interactions that the technology had and just like how much of an impact it, it kind of continued to have on the organization long, long after leaving. I love how proud your face looks at this lottery system. Like you've done amazing things. You've invested in incredible companies. You've changed lives like mine. And you're like, but I built this lottery system. <laughs> I, I, I love that. That's so great. You know, this whole, the, what you just said about, you know, getting to see people interact with it kind of reminds me of what I was feeling when we were talking earlier about OWL. One of the things that you said at least three times was we're looking for people who are in classrooms that are talking to teachers. Was it your, was it your experience at success that kind of informs your feeling that people have to really, if you're going to do ed tech, you've got to be in touch with the classroom? I think so. And I think like, that's why like post success, um, it was important for me to like, kind of go into a joint degree program, right? Like, cause even though I had worked in an after school setting, and even though I had worked at a charter school network, I was still not in that classroom setting. Uh, and so for me, like, I was like, Hey, listen, I, I wouldn't like, you know, kind of think about some other profession without necessarily studying, like kind of what has been done before. And so for me, when I thought about uh, you know, continuing my journey in the education technology sector, it was like, hey, I'm going to go get my MBA because I want to learn more about business. Well, I'm going to go get my master's in education because, you know, a lot of times like what you hear is like uh, folks will come into the sector being like, oh, I was a student. So therefore, I understand like kind of how this works and what what changes need to get made. And it's like, no, like that, like, don't assume you're the first person that's had this thought. Don't assume you're the first person that's had this idea something that you might be thinking of has probably been tried before. Try to understand why it did or did not work. And then not to say that you can't come around later and try that again because circumstances could be different, but just at least like kind of take the time to understand what is the system that you're working in? What has been tried before? Who are all the different constituents? And, and, and how should you think about what could work based on like kind of research pedagogy and everything like that too? Yeah, just a few things to think about. <laughs> yeah, just, just, a, just a tiny bit. Yeah. Okay. So you meet Sal Khan. He, he is your life changer and you end up at Success Academies and then you go to Stanford and then soon after it's OWL. How did, how did that happen? Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to uh, meet uh, Tori, who's uh, one of the other managing directors at OWL as well. Um, and so I had the chance to, uh, to meet him and uh, kind of work with him at uh, and, and then kind of, uh, he, uh, as long as well as a few others were coming together to kind of start OWL, uh, specifically focused on the education sector. Uh, and so for me, you know, kind of at the time that I had applied to graduate school, um, you know, in my mind, I was like, oh, I would love to like, kind of go and work at a place that like was investing in education technology, um, and kind of doing it at a venture like scale. And there were some folks that were like kind of doing it in the seed stage. There were folks that were doing it in a venture philanthropy way. Um, but like, to me, it was almost like, oh, and I wrote my like kind of essay uh, into graduate school about this was like, I actually thought I would have to come out of grad school and start something like this myself, like where I would say, hey, you know what? Like, uh, I'm gonna like kind of create uh, this like kind of uh, accelerator or something like that for uh, education technology companies. Um, and then, you know, in, in my mind, I was like, oh, it'd be great if it could be like kind of associated with a school network so you could kind of get that like in classroom experience, uh, just just pulling on that theme. And, uh, you know, when I when I had the chance to meet with Tori and the team, um, it was like a dream come true. And I, they said, hey, we're we're going to we're thinking about starting this like would you, would you want to be a part of this? And for me, I was just like, absolutely. Like that, that, that sounds amazing. Uh, and, and hence like why I've, I've been here since 2014. 
So you end up at Owl, which is great. But what I what I feel like I read all the time was the ed tech moment just passed. It wasn't COVID, right? Like yeah. this was the moment. So when you go to work every day, when you talk with Tori, with your colleagues, and everyone's saying the moment has passed, what what gets you up? What's it, what's still exciting? You know, do you think the moment has passed, or are we? Is there a new moment coming? How do you feel about that? Yeah. So I I really think like to use a sports analogy, like we are in the first pitch of the first inning when it comes to education technology, right? Like um, I think in terms of you know, what is going to be possible with this um, technology itself? Like we're, we're already seeing like kind of the latest wave of like kind of the impact that AI and things like that are having on the sector. Um, I think second, just the talent that is entering the space is amazing. Um, you know, I think year over year uh, that that has been profound. Um, and, you know, if I just reflect on the journey that uh, I've had at Owl, like kind of since 2014, um, you know, the, the scale of companies that we've seen, the change of innovation that we've seen, like, I think we knew that it was going to happen over a period of time. I certainly don't think we expected it to happen as fast as it has so far. Uh, COVID certainly, you know, played a role in, like I said before, accelerating some of that. But like, once again, the benefits of education technology are not done after that, right? Like, it's something that's going to kind of continue to live on. It's going to continue to persevere. Uh, and I think like, you know, in this world that we're living in, frankly, like just thinking beyond K-12, right? Like this idea that like you're, you know, going to graduate at 18, 22, you know, late 20s, depending on what level of education you're, you're obtaining, uh, and then somehow be done with learning and then kind of have a 50-year career. Like, I, I don't think that's a world that we live in anymore. And so there's going to be this like lifelong learning element. There's going to be upskilling. There's going to be reskilling. Uh, and so from that perspective, um, I would say, uh, you know, I think there's a lot more that education technology is going to do a bigger role that it's going to play and, and just uh, excited about kind of what, you know, not just this next decade come, uh, holds, but like kind of what the next 50 years holds for the sector. What you're bringing for me, like to the front for me, is that like I think of ed tech and I think K-12 because that's where my life and my experience has been. But um, when I think about learning, like I interact with so much education technology all the time, right? Like we all tried masterclass during COVID, right? And we're all, we're doing podcasts, audio books. There's so many things that are happening that are changing the way we learn, not just in a classroom, but in life. And I, I think that's really cool that you have that perspective um, at OWL to kind of think about beyond the K-12 um, despite the fact that K-12 is where I belong. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so we end every podcast by asking five questions. Um, I wish they were rapid fire, but I'm yet to see anyone do it too quickly. So don't okay. worry, take your time. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> um, although Steve Carnavale, I don't know if you know him, but he's the founder of the Dyslexia Center um, at UCSF and has also done some cool stuff in venture. And he, he was pretty quick. So okay. uh, he set the standards. So the first question is, so our podcast is called More Than a Test. The reason we call it that at Amira is because we believe our product is the third generation of assessment beyond looking at kids three times a year on a benchmark assessment. Instead, we can look at who they are as a reader every single day. But everyone else who reads it thinks something else. So when you saw the title, More Than a Test, what did you think of? Uh, that's a good question. Well, I, um, I would say I'm a little bit biased because of being on the board of Amira. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so this idea of like kind of uh, going beyond like, I would just say like kind of traditional test measurements, uh, this idea of like almost like real-time data analytics and like just really understanding where that student is like day-to-day, week-to-week. Uh, and in that real formative way is something that uh, I would say like was not too hard for me to connect the dots on. All right. Good for you. Um, a lot of people <laughs> talk about how kids are more than a test and stuff. So it's nice to have someone aligned to me. Um, there you go. Okay. There you go. So you mentioned the moment with your dad in your life, but do you have a moment with a book or a literary moment where you remember reading or being with a book that, that was really important and impactful for you? Yeah. Uh, so that's a good question. I think, um, so this, this is more than just a, I would say more than just a moment with a book, but also a teacher that I thought just like went above and beyond for me. Uh, and frankly, all, all of his students. So um, uh, this was in eighth grade. Uh, I was living abroad at the time in uh, Italy at the time. And uh, we were studying uh, the Odyssey and, you know, kind of 
being in eighth grade and engaging in the Odyssey is not like kind of the best topic that a lot of kids are just like really looking forward to, like really engaging. Um, and the the class was a humanities class, so it com combined like uh, history and like kind of ELA, and so kind of had both of those like interwoven together. And I thought the thing that the, the the teacher at the time did that was really really interesting and made students dive into the book in a way that they might not have it otherwise was after we read the book, uh, he created a mock trial of like Clytemnestra being on trial for the, you know, potentially killing her husband, Agamemnon, right? Like, and so assign like roles to everyone in like the class and being like, you know, some people were witnesses, some people were lawyers, and then had the sixth and seventh graders be juries, uh, like, and listen to the actual uh, trial. And so from that perspective, like that, I mean, like the fact that I'm able to like, kind of just like recollect these like very specific like points on this, like, I, I almost can't think of another book like where I, I know it as well. And I, I attribute a lot of that to is Mr. Barassi and uh, the, just the thoughtfulness that Mr. Barassi taught, taught us with and uh, kind of creating that type of uh, just like really engage in, and unique experience around this book. Do you remember what your part was? Uh, I was a part of the, the, the team that was, um, you know, putting uh, the case against Clytemnestra uh, and, yeah. yeah. Can I just tell you what I love about that is that the sixth and seventh graders got a little power away from the eighth graders. Oh, they did. Is, they you did. Know, they're on they the juries. I, I think there's a lot of creativity there. So that's really great. Um, I know I've asked this a couple of different ways, but I'm going to ask it again. One piece of technology that you're really excited about right now. Oh, um, you know, I think it's hard not to say like kind of AI at the moment. Like I, I think the the impact that it's like kind of had uh, on all of us, like in just the short period of time that we have seen it, like, I think it's pretty amazing. Uh, I think we are at, at the tip of the iceberg of like kind of what's actually going to be possible here. Um, and so that is something that I'm, I'm really excited about. I think it's going to change extremely quickly. Uh, I think it's something that, uh, you know, it, it, it can be intimidating also to kind of learn all of this new stuff as well. And so, I can be empathetic to folks who who might just say, ah, I'm, I'm scared of this and things like that. But uh, I think uh, hopefully uh, it, it will be created in like kind of that intuitive, approachable way so that folks can kind of interact with it and, and really leverage it to once again, focus on the things that that really matter uh, and, and be more productive and things like that. So. Totally makes sense. Um, and then the best advice you've ever been given. The best advice that I've ever been given. Um, that's great. Uh, you know, I'd say it, it's two things. Um, you know, I, I mentioned having uh, relatively uh, young kids and, you know, for, for anyone that is a parent, I mean, I, it, it's like a big life-changing moment uh, kind of for them. Um, and so I think for me, uh, one was like just this, uh, you know, kind of this, the saying that I heard where like, it's like, Hey, listen, the, uh, the days will be long with like your kids, but like the years will go by fast. Um, and so I would say like for, as, as a new parent, like, uh, that, that was like kind of really profound advice, uh, for me. And, um, you know, I'd say it's like, it's almost the opposite sometimes of what you hear with technology where it's like folks will, overestimate like kind of what will get done in a short period of time and underestimate what what gets done in a long period of time and then the second thing i would say is um you know for me uh it made me appreciate my parents in a whole new way uh and so i think from from that perspective uh i believe there's a blog that's called what matters most or, or something like that um and there's this article that just really talked about like hey think about how many, like, depending on what average human lifespan is, what, like, your age of your parents are and everything, like, think about, like, how many more interactions do you have left? Like, how many more pizzas are you going to eat with them? How many more Super Bowls are you going to eat with them? And so, like, just this idea of, like, you know, think about, like, how many more interactions you have and make those as meaningful as possible. And uh, I think for me, that's, like, been profound in terms of how I've approached that relationship as well, too. I haven't heard that before, but it is really lovely. And I will say, um, 
one of the things, so my parents help a lot with my children. Um, I have twins and, and they're here all the time. <laughs> my dad was here today. Um, and I, I feel like at least once a week, I just, I look at them and I was like, first of all, like teenage years, super sorry. Like, yeah. You deserve none of that. <laughs> and also like, I, there'll never be a day where I've said thank you enough. So thank you. So like, I, I hear you on that with your parents. It's, uh, it's, I think my mom got, big... yeah, I was going to say, sorry, for, but my, my mom got so tired of me saying sorry for exactly that. The teenage years, like after like our first child, so I was like, I'm so sorry, mom. I'm so sorry. Like, and she's like, okay, you're gonna have to stop this. Like, <laughs> I think my mom still likes hearing it, but, <laughs> <laughs> she, but maybe I was a little worse. All right. Last question. One book you think everyone should read? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if I can pick one book, but I'll, uh, okay. One book that I think is interesting is called Peak Performance. Okay. Uh, and so this is a really interesting book that uh, it focuses on like kind of a whole host of like um, you know, kind of sector. So meaning like athletes, artists, uh, researchers, like academics, uh, entrepreneurs, and kind of uh, looks at like individuals across all of those sectors and like start, tries to understand like why these individuals in some cases had like decades long of successful kind of careers in each of these. And in some cases, like folks like kind of burned out or like weren't able to like kind of sustain uh, that that level of success. And so they try to pull like different uh, like common traits or practices or things like that, uh, that these individuals did uh, in order to like be able to sustain like, a, you know, multi-decade like kind of career like that. And so I thought it was particularly interesting because a lot of times you'll read these books and it's like focused on an athlete or an artist or something like that. But the fact that somebody kind of took the time to uh, look across like multiple uh, kind of sectors and things like that, I thought that was really fascinating. And uh, it's been really interesting to incorporate some of those uh, uh, takeaways, like kind of into my day-to-day -day practice and things like that. And then if you let me, I'd say second, a second book that I would uh, highly recommend, just because we talked about being new parents. Uh, and this one you have to do in audiobook. Um, and, uh, it is called, uh, the book that I read before becoming a dad was called bringing up Bebe. Uh, and it is, uh, I mean, it sounds, it seems like you've read it. Or... Well, what's so great is halfway through the book, she goes from having one to having two, having yep. she has twins. And I'm like, thank God someone knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I think like for me, like, it was just like this concept of like, La pause and just like kind of listen this child is going to do whatever this child is going to do and you just need to pause uh i thought was uh was pretty amazing of all the books I, first of all i haven't read peak performance so it's on my list okay. and of all the books i thought you were going to say second and had to get in there that was not of the one about <laughs> french par americans parenting in france is not one that i expected there you go. So. There you well, go. thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for all the things you've done for me. I cannot imagine how proud your father must be knowing just one, the success you've had for education, but just that you continue to meet everyone with generosity and kindness every single day. So thank you. Thank you, Laura. And I like consider it an honor to be working with you and the rest of the Amira team. So thank you for inviting me on here today and uh, looking forward to kind of what's next for Amira as well, too. Thanks for joining us on the More Than a Test podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. At Amira Learning, we believe every child deserves a chance to become a reader, and we're excited to be part of this conversation. See you next week, and thanks for joining.